the historic bells of Albany City Hall. Welcome to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. And welcome to an episode of Albany Street. I'm Brian Cady, your host, and the clock is ticking towards Christmas, but more importantly on our personal side, counting down to a very important event that uh, I am lucky to be a part of as the announcer for the second year, a Coaches versus Cancer benefit being held at Hudson Valley Community College through high school basketball. Some of the best programs in the entire Section 2 area of upstate New York gathering together to compete on Friday night, December the 16th, up through Saturday and Sunday of that weekend. So two and a half days of amazing basketball. And to help talk about it is the man putting it all together and the head coach of the Tamarack Boys Varsity Basketball Program, Mr. Eric Medved. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. And let's just go back in time and, and talk a little bit about your background first off. Born and raised in within the South Colony system, a Raider at heart. But, you know, you end up staying local, actually, to go to UAlbany and eventually St. Rose for your grad work. What made you want to stay local? Was it something that you personally wanted to do or was it kind of like a family influence decision? I mean, my dad worked at St. Rose when I was a kid, and obviously I grew up on the local campus there, and I kind of always thought that I was going to end up at St. Rose. I went to high school in Spain for my senior year. I had an opportunity to play basketball over there, and then I went into the Navy, and I was out in California and Hawaii. So when I got out, my first thought was, you know, I was homesick. I was kind of thinking about how great it was at home. This is, you know, my safety net. It's the people that I kind of grew up with, and um, I came back, went to UAlbany, and as a veteran, I was older than the people that I went to school with at, at, at school. Um, I walked onto the football team there, and by that time, they didn't have any idea who I was. I remember playing with kids that were like three or four years younger than me, and they were already like the juniors and seniors. And uh, they're sitting there thinking about all the parties on the weekend, and here I am, and I had a kid, and uh, I'm thinking about, you know, I was working full-time and I was going to school. So, yeah, it was just coming back home and kind of being around my family that really made me want to stay around here. And Albany, it's the greatest university, in my opinion, in the area, so. Hold on, hold on. There's there's something we need to we touch on there for a second. Your family let you go to Spain for the entirety of your senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Was that something that took a lot of convincing? Like, uh, how did that even work out? You know, I I think part of it had to do with the fact that I wanted to go my my junior year, but we ended up with a foreign exchange student that year. He came with me, and um, we I just we fell in love with the opportunity to kind of host him, and he was great. He was an incredible soccer player. Ended up going to St. Rose after he went to Colony. His name was Jesus Valbuena. And he ended up being the all-time leading soccer player scorer at St. Rose. So the idea there was, hey, you know what? You could come to my house next year. And I didn't end up going to his house. I ended up going to another kid's house um, named Jaime Montoro was his name. And he came to New York, and he went to school here. And I went to his house. I slept in his bed and got raised by his parents for a year. And he came and lived at my house and got raised by my parents for years. So I did a true foreign exchange. And sure, it's risky to leave for your senior year, but I don't know, just the opportunity to be able to be overseas and travel uh, seemed incredible to me, and I loved it. I wouldn't exchange that you know, opportunity for the world. It was, it was amazing. And then you got to take that uh, ability to be away from home over to serve in the Navy. How long were you in the uh, Navy for? I only did one four-year tour, just under five. And so then when I got out, um, and I went out to California. I was a translator. Uh, they taught me Russian. Um, I had an opportunity to get involved in the Cold War, and then when the Cold War ended, there really wasn't a need for Russian translation as much. So they thought about, you know, would you like to stay in and learn a new language? They offered me $30,000 to stay in and re-up and go over to the Gulf. And uh, in the end, I got out after the end of my tour, and I ended up back home. So I just did one tour. And then you end up at UAlbany, and what's interesting is, growing up, you're a football and basketball player, mm-hmm. and then you get to UAlbany, and you decide to focus athletically on football. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. I mean, 
First of all, you know, New Albany was transitioning to Division Two, so I could see on the writing on the wall that, you know, for me to go there and have an opportunity to play, it was going to take, you know, a great effort. So I walked in. I was a little stronger than the average freshman at that particular time because, you know, I coming off the military, I was in great shape. Um, so they really, you know, the fitness is incredible in the Navy. So I get there, and I could physically hang with those guys. And they were way younger than me, and it was really fun to be a part of it. Football was always a dream of mine to be able to play, you know, in college and all that. And there was a lot of guys from my team. Colony had, I think, sent four guys to that UAlbany squad. So UAlbany was kind of like a reunion of, of area kids at that time. There was kids from all over the Capital District schools. Once they went D2, they started to increase their recruiting base. They would start to travel. They had Ohio. They had, you know, all different schools. But uh, it was really, you know, kind of neat because it was kind of getting a chance to be with people that you played with years ago. I had a chance to play under Bob Ford, and Bob was a fantastic coach. Uh, he taught me so much about life. I learned a lot of the mannerisms that I have now as a coach kind of come from him. He was a special man. I also had a chance when I was at UAlbany to take the theory and technique of coaching basketball, and uh, I tell you what, I think that really helped lead me to where I am to this day because Doc Sowers was a legend. You're talking about literally one of the all-time winningest coaches in New York State basketball history. Um, he taught the course, and he just took kind of a particular liking to me. He asked me to find a mentor I could kind of um, work with that was a real coach at the time that was coaching either high school or college basketball. I had a chance to work with a guy named Danny Heitko, who was a Hudson Valley coach. And um, I don't know, it just it stayed from there. I never went back to another sport. I coached football as a volunteer every now and again. I've coached everything from soccer, baseball as a volunteer, but basketball has been the one consistent sport that's become the passion of my life, no doubt, and it really kind of grew from that opportunity to be with Doc Sowers at UAlbany. You want to talk about really hitting the the main point of everything as far as uh, UAlbany, your time at UAlbany. You're able to be there when Coach Ford and Coach Sowers are both there. I mean, that's that's like almost like a perfect timing, almost like a godsend to you at that point, being able to be there at that point. I would say that when you think about it, you're talking about you know, the golden era of UAlbany sports. Now, obviously now, it, you know, Division One, and, you know, you think about, you know, how incredible the football stadium is. We played on the track, you know, behind the, the phys ed building when we were playing football. Basketball played in the old PE gym. Um, but none of that could have happened if it wasn't for, you know, what Doc and, and Coach Ford had done, you know, at that time. So certainly I think a lot of what's happening today can get attributed back to that golden era. Doc had started coaching uh, UAlbany in the early 60s, and Doc started coaching there in the mid-60s. So these guys were icons. They were they were synonymous with, with that campus. And when you saw them on campus, it was like seeing Coach Bayheim at Syracuse or anything like that. And they're super well-connected. You know, it's funny. People talk about Division Three, Division Two, and maybe they're Division One now and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, basketball at that time, pound for pound, it was a great place to play, and the level of basketball was super high level. And then you end up transitioning over to St. Rose, basically like five minutes down the road, if that, if, mm -hmm. and that's being maybe too generous, betting on traffic, it might be 10, you know, whatever. Uh, so you end up transitioning down the road to the College of St. Rose, and you go right from Bob Ford, Doc Sowers, mm -hmm. and obviously at the time there was Brian Bury. That's right. I mean, is, is there really a, a better list of three coaches you could have mm. been at that point and then, you know, you know leading to your time with Brian? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the connection that I had with Coach Beery was great because obviously he had been at St. Rose for a long time. He was a student. He was one of those guys that came out of the uh, Queens area, uh, came up to St. Rose as a player, and then he kind of stayed forever uh, as a coach there. That's a St. That's a Rose lifer. Uh, and then Brian Fruscio, who took me under his wing as my mentor, you know, he was obviously – Brian Beery was his mentor. So 
and George Mardigan. He obviously came from two great coaching trees. So Brian took me under my under his wing. I certainly owe a lot of what I've been able to do to Brian, to you know both Coach Beery and Coach Fruscio. And um, yeah, it kind of went from there. We won the sectionals at LaSalle, which to me was one of the greatest victories. We actually had one of the heart, most heartbreaking defeats the year before Detroit. Myron Robinson, he uh, banked in a shot against us. We actually had a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter. Those are the kind of things you never forget. And then we ended up just kind of falling apart at the end. And they always say, though, the best way to win a championship, though, is to kind of have to push through it and persevere. And I think that loss to Troy in 2002 led to our victory in 2003 over CBA and what many would consider to be one of the you know, most outlying and greatest victories because CBA starts a run from that night that ends up becoming unprecedented. They had a, a, a four-year run, first a three-year run, and then a four-year run. And in between, they had a two-year break. So seven out of nine years, CBA won Class AA championships after that night. And they needed the loss to us just the same way that we needed that loss to Troy. So if you actually ask Coach Domal, I bet you he would say that that loss to LaSalle kind of is what vaulted them into that elite and kind of gave them that edge that they needed. And 04 and 05 were my junior and senior years at CBA. So I know those all too well because 04 was uh, Monaghan and uh, Josh Doyble transferred from, I want to say Niskiuna, maybe? Yeah. Uh, um, Scotia or Niskiuna. Yeah, Scotia or Niskiuna. So he transfers in for his senior year to be with Monaghan and Bova and all of them. And they lost, lost to Mount Vernon in the, was the semi. It was a semis or a state title mm-hmm. game. I can't remember. I think the semis. I think it was the semis. But yeah, so you're right up my alley. But I do want to touch on. Uh, one person particular that you mentioned that I know is near and dear to my heart as well, and that's Brian Fruscio. Obviously, uh, he spent a great amount of time recently at Albany Academy for boys, and now has since moved on starting this school year over at Canterbury. Talk a little more, more about your relationship with Brian um, and, and what he meant to you, and ultimately what he really meant to Section 2 basketball and to boys basketball in general. I think the biggest thing about Brian Fruscio is that you know he's a winner, but not just in basketball, it's in life. He teaches... Uh, boys how to be men the right way. He basically, it's a tough love kind of a situation, but everything that he does, everything he says, it's very deliberate. It comes from a position of love and care. When he talks to you, you feel like you're listening to somebody that's genuine, that truly cares for his players. He had this plan that he would able to articulate to the players every year, and he was able to communicate roles uh, unlike anybody else that I had ever been around. And again, now, a lot of the guys I had been around were college coaches. They don't really have to do that quite as much because they're recruiting people, and they kind of understand a little bit. But in high school basketball, I think because these guys aren't quite men, you know, it's it's an art to be able to get a group of men that are or young men that are in such a different part in their lives. Everything's kind of... You know, one's going this way, one's going that way, one's dealing with this, one's dealing with that. Obviously, they're dealing with adolescence and everything that's going on there. And yet he was able to channel that and kind of say, listen, guys, you know, outside of the lines, everybody's got their own stuff going on. But when we enter this gym, we are all on the same page. We're locked in. And he would say, like, you're my glue guy. You know, you're going to be the guy that comes in and I need you to get a defensive stop. You're my post sub. Every time that I need to get a post sub, you get ready. I want you mentally prepared so you know that as soon as somebody's in foul trouble, don't even look at me. Get up and go, coach, you know. And, and it was that ability to be able to get those guys to kind of like buy into that role and communicate that role that I learned a ton from. So I kind of take bits and pieces of all of those guys. And, I mean, for a guy like me, uh, you know, who's nobody from nowhere, to be able to come up and, and be around basketball royalty like that. Brian, to me, is basketball royalty. He's one of, if not, you know, in the short list of the greatest three or four coaches in Section 2 history. I think one of the more remarkable times of his run at Albany Academy before he ultimately moved on, and I was lucky enough to be there for a couple of those years too, was the 
combined era of the end of Hamir Wright, who would go to Washington, mm-hmm. which basically ushered in, at least in Hamir's senior year, the handover to Andre Jackson, who is now uh, a starter and a co-captain at UConn. Mm-hmm. To be able to have two future D1 athletes and have them both understand that, yeah, I know at any point I could basically tell you to go and you'll go drop 40 if you really wanted to, but he got them to embrace playing their roles and understanding their positives and being able to hide on or eventually work on their negatives so they weren't negatives anymore. To be able to do that with future D1 athletes, putting the team first before the individual, I mean, that just speaks volumes about his coaching abilities. Yeah, because here I am talking about the seventh man, the eighth man, all that kind of stuff, but it's that ability to be able to coach stars and then convince those stars of what they need to do to be able to sacrifice uh, for the team. That that really is what makes somebody special. He's not only able to take a player that's okay and make them good, he's able to take a good player and make them great and a great player and make them, you know, legendary. Look at look at the way Andre Jackson was able to come together. When Andre got there, now listen, my son and Andre are former classmates together. They are the same age. I obviously coached against him when we were younger. So I had a chance to see a kid that could always jump out of the gym. But when he went to play for Fruscio, he became a basketball player um, in every sense of the word. And there were certainly things that he's had to hone in college. But as a, as a freak athlete that he is, and I'm talking about a generational athlete, it's not really been a lot of guys that can jump like he can in Section 2 history. Brian was able to get him to kind of understand and buy into all the other aspects of the game, how to take a charge, uh, how to lead, how to communicate in a huddle, you know, those are things that are intangibles. And Brian does a really great job at that, too. And I think that's what I think he communicates still with Mulvey, with the kid that's in Iowa, you know, Jackson. You know, he communicates with these kids because they're always looking back to, hey, some little nuance of what they're doing. Hey, coach, can you take a look at what, I, what I've been doing? Maybe, you know, hey, is my foot forward? Is it back? Am I, am I not following through? Brian's a detail-oriented guy. That's what Doc Sowers was all about, too. Details, details, details. And I think when the kids are coming through in a high school program, they want to be coached in details. But you also have to balance what's too much, too. Quick timeout. When we get back, we will wrap things up with Tamarack Boys basketball head coach Eric Medved. And we'll get into the event that's going to be held this coming weekend at Hudson Valley Community College for Coaches versus Cancer. You're listening to Albany Street. The historic bells of Albany City Hall return us to Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. And welcome back to Albany Street. I'm Brian Cady, the host, with Tamarack Boys Basketball Varsity Head Coach Eric Medved. And Coach, just real quick before we get into talking about the event that uh, you started last year and uh, we're going to have the second edition of this year for Coaches versus Cancer. I just want to talk real quick about the fact that aside from just being, from not just being, but from being a basketball coach, also a teacher as well. How rewarding is it to be able to work in that kind of capacity where you not just are you, you know, teaching a game that you love on the basketball court, but also being able to help out with kids at large within the, the school and, and being a teacher as well? Well, I tell you what, it's really important, I think, for a coach to be inside the school community. Um, I have a chance to get to know these guys when they're young men, but I also have a chance to get to know them when they're, you know, at a crucial age of their life, 12, turning 13 years old. So being a middle school teacher gives me an opportunity to get to know these guys before they're basketball players. Basketball is just a part of their life when they're that age. And of course, when they get back to me on varsity, you know, I get to know them again. And it's that foundation that I've that I've sort of worked with them with um, in social studies. You know, we've had an opportunity to kind of go through debates and project learning, and, you know, I just get to know them as something a little bit different, and I think we refer back to those kind of issues. Sometimes we'll actually talk a lot about what it was like when they were in my class 
and it kind of lightens the mood a little bit when we're sitting there at work talking about basketball. So I love it, and I tell you what, you know, first and foremost, that's my job as a teacher, you know, for Tamarack. Um, basketball is just a part of my responsibilities there. You know, I run the middle school senate. I do yearbook um, team leader for the eighth grade. So I do a lot of different duties. But um, it's those relationships that you build with the kids outside of the court that I think definitely help me on the court. And obviously it's working pretty well because the kids and I have um, been able to bond, especially these last few years. It's been a really great group watching them develop. And one thing that I've seen really develop within the basketball community specifically, you can take this whatever direction you want, is the explosion of AAU over the last, say, 15, 20 years. And I know that you're lieutenant governor for Adirondack AAU right now. You're also part of CD Premier from the, the, the foundational start of it. The growth of it and what it means to the development of young boys and girls uh, in the in basketball, just talk about the, that explosion recently and how you feel like it's maybe changed for the good and, and even maybe changed for the bad in a way. Hmm. So when I first took over in 2002, AAU basketball in the area was so different. You know, there was only a couple of teams that you could play and all that kind of stuff. City Rocks had already been around for a couple of years, so the best players could get together at that time. And there was an avenue for them to be able to get out into the world. James Hart, uh, Jimmy's done a great job just kind of bringing together the top talent. And he's taken that into a much more regional and statewide approach too. But other kids didn't really have an opportunity, kids that weren't in that elite level, to really get elite competition in the offseason. And I think what AAU has allowed is it's allowed those second- and third-tier guys to have an opportunity to develop. And some of those kids have ended up becoming the City Rocks at the end. I think the biggest honor is to see these small school kids end up getting up to the highest level. What the City Rocks do, which I think is fantastic, is they allow great players to get a chance to see how they look against other great players. You get an opportunity to feel really big in a small pond, and then all of a sudden you get out and you can see what's there, and you say to yourself, wow, i got to work harder. So the positive of AU is that true exposure, no matter what it is. If you're a Division three player, it lets you have a chance to see Division two players. If you're a Division two player, it has you get a chance to see Division one players. If you're an elite Division one player, you can see what pros are like. I mean, it re- these Kobe Bryant played AU. These guys go straight to the NBA, LeBron. So to me, there's something for everybody in it. And if you're just somebody that enjoys playing basketball and it's just something you want to do in the offseason because you don't feel like playing baseball, AAU is a great outlet for that too. There's some organizations that um, play highly competitive basketball, and there's others that are just out there for the love of the game. And I think that's the beauty of AAU. The negative side of it, I think sometimes it's too many games. I think if you really sat back and looked at it, I think kids should spend more time in a training lab and, and honing their skills going to places like Buckets that Terrence Florence owns over at Colony, uh, getting with trainers like J.J. Harvey and Danelius King and Darwin Carr and Dom Lamorta. There's some Steve D'Agostino, Shaber Mursky, who I just coached against last night. There's some fantastic trainers. That's the the part of it. I think if you balance AAU and put in the time training, then AAU I think can be positive. But if you're just out there playing games, I think that's the negative side of AAU. Now let's focus on the event that we're looking at for this weekend, the second edition of our Coaches versus Cancer fundraiser at Hudson Valley Community College being held Friday night the 16th. Going to have a triple header there on Friday night and then eight games each on Saturday and Sunday the 17th and 18th. So if you don't do all your Christmas shopping, come on now, enjoy some great basketball for a great cause. But let's just go back to the uh, initial event back last year in 2021. What was the ultimate inspiration into putting together that kind of fundraiser for a weekend-long event at Hudson Valley? Well, cancer is uh, something that I think affects so many different families in the area, Um, and I think that's 
something that unites us in the sense that so many of the coaches that are in Section 2 area have somebody, in some cases very close to them, um, that they've lost or that battles cancer. In my case, uh, my first wife, um, she died from cancer, um, walking Kira down the aisle uh, without her, um, I think, uh, at her uh, wedding, to me, I think, really opened my eyes to the fact that I need to do something. Then my mom passed. My mom battled cancer for 12 years, and losing her during COVID was really tough, especially because of the COVID part. I couldn't go to the nursing home. Um, I couldn't go to the hospital. Um, I couldn't be with her at the end. And um, I think those two inspirations, more than anything, I think is really what fueled me to decide that I can utilize my passion, and some people would say a gift, right, and translate that into a way that I can sort of help awareness um, help others to come together for something that matters to so many of us. So basketball is the, the vehicle. Um, last year we raised over $12,000. I owe a great deal of that to the efforts of people like yourself and all the volunteers who came together. It was your announcing. It was my organization. It was the coaches coaching. It was the players playing. I mean, all of that made it special. And I don't even think we've hit the tip of the iceberg about how great this can be because COVID was going on last year. And you know, we were dealing with masks in very small crowds. This year, I think if people can come out and really, you know, not only follow the high schools that you're concerned with, but come make a day out of it, you know. It's one admission price that you can come in for the entire day. Uh, you get a chance to watch eight games for 10 bucks, and um, all of that's going to the American Cancer Society. Um, Hudson Valley Community College is donating uh, a portion of the event to, to American Cancer. I mean, so many people are coming together for this. Um, Ryan Richardson from Mechanicville, it's a near and dear issue to him and his family. So I think that it's it's something that the whole community can can be proud of. It's elite basketball, too. One of the things that I'm really excited about, you've got Shenandoah. Shenandoah just had a huge victory last night by four. They're coming out here, and they, you know, they're bringing their squad. You've got LaSalle, Adam Myers. Um, you've got Shaker with Zachary Matulu. I mean, we can go on and on. My guy Joey Pullen, who you know is one of the greatest players in Section Two, uh, he's coming out. So when you look at the field, Verdile uh, from Boston Spa, I got to play against him actually. These guys have top squads. Um, we're bringing great basketball. Green Tech's bringing their squad. If you hadn't had a chance to see Green Tech's uh, new team, they're really fantastic. Back in the 2005 season, we had a great player named Tiki Maben, who was the number one player in the country in the class of 2005, and um, at one point he was the the Carmelo of his class, and his son Hazai is now the guy who's emerged at Green Tech. He had 42 points in his uh, season debut the other day down in a tournament in New York City. I mean, this kid can play. So we've got so many guys like that. I can go on and on and on about some of the top talent that's playing in that event, and each game is going to be even better than the next. My alma mater, Colony, is coming. Uh, we got so many suburban council teams playing, and it's a real true bracket buster because you've got Shalmont playing Broad Alden, B versus B. Uh, you got you know Hoosick Valley playing Voorheesville, C versus C, two 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 teams that are going to literally punch each other in the mouth. Last year it was a one point game, and that seeding ended up making a big difference in the sectional. So, if you're ever looking to see in season basketball sectional level in the middle of the season, this is the event for you. And I think everybody can really you know be excited and find something. And a quick reminder again: the action on Friday night that triple header starts at 5 p.m. with Heatley and Northville. Uh, Saturday that. So, uh, set of eight games starts at 9.30 in the morning. Greenwich against Harry, And then Sunday's a slate starting at 9.30 in the morning. Uh, Maple Hill against Dwaynesburg. And it's going to be a great time, as always. 
Eric Medved. Coach, thank you very much for being a part of the show, and I'll uh, I'll see you next weekend. All right, sounds great. Thank you, Brian. All right, and that does it for another episode of Albany Street. If you have any questions, comments, and maybe guests you're looking into, be Katie. That's B-C-A-D-Y at albanybroadcasting.com. In the meantime, enjoy your week. This has been another edition of Albany Street. The historic bells of Albany City Hall close out another edition of Albany Street, a public affairs presentation of Albany Broadcasting. This program, pre-recorded. <laughs>